Hey, check this out right about now. I want to introduce a brother that came all the way out of here from the Strong Island, New York. Well, allow me to introduce myself, right? So, you probably recognize the voice, hopefully. It's your co-host, it's Mark Fitz from the Zero Hour, with your host, Christine Chapman, with the most, and today on the Zero Hour, we have who? Dave McGilvery. All right, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and germs, as I like to say, um... (laughs) Man, I'm, you should see me. I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear right now because we have um, a bit of a celeb, right? A bit. Uh, we well, have a legend, a living legend yes, here. We, Absolutely. We do have a li- living legend. We are honored to have and humbled to have our, our, our next guest. Uh, I would venture to say that he is the inspiration for one of my favorite movies. And we'll tell you why, but I'll tell you the movie first. The movie is Forrest Gump. Right. And some of the things that our guest that I'll let Christine introduce you, our guest has done are what the F are crazy. Like, oh, my God, I don't know how he does it. But all right, folks, Christine. Yes. Would you please introduce our next guest? Yes. I am super, super excited, everybody, to introduce Dave McGilvery. Um, founder, he is an entrepreneur, an author, uh, a, a philanthropist, a motiv- motivational speaker, athlete, author, like everything, everything you could possibly want to be when you grow up. Right, Dave, you have managed to become and put on your resume. I believe you have run over 165,000 miles in your life, have run 51 Boston marathons, and have been so impactful in big events around the world, including the Olympics, um, various different huge marathons, road races, and are an inspiration to so many. And I just, I need to say, one of the things that really is amazing is that you were the first person to run um, long distances to fundraise for a cause, and your long distance run was in 1978 from Medford, Oregon to Medford, Massachusetts, over 80 days. What? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, Welcome David. David. Hey, you just gave my speech my remarks. So, does anyone have any questions? <laughs> All right. All right. We're done here. Good. Good night. We're done. You know what? Hey, every good Guys, keynote. That's a wrap. <laughs> Every good keynote needs to have a good introduction and you're so impressive and awesome. and and you're also such a normal guy and a dad and and that's what makes this so much more special, right? You're just yeah. Well, that's the operative word normal. What is normal these days, right? But no, uh not, no, I not appreciate, me. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate being on the podcast, appreciate the kind words. I'm ready to rock and roll here. Um, happy to chat about any subject that uh, people might be interested in hearing about. 
So, so Dave, the first time I um, learned about you was because I um, raised my children in Hopkinton, Mass. And I remember when you came to the Elmwood School um, mm. for my then second grader and he came home and he, he came and spoke, Mom, there's this guy. And he's run across the country, right? And he's run all of these marathons and he read us his book. So can you speak to how you got to where you are, maybe your first marathon? Because I know that that's the subject of the book um, Mm -hmm. that my child was read as a child. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to, I mean, we all have a story. And everyone, truly, everyone in an audience can get up in front of that audience and tell their life story or how they got to where they, uh, you know, got to in life. And it'll be every bit as inspiring and motivational. But for me, it was, you know, growing up here in the greater Boston area, uh, you were surrounded by sports, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, and so forth. And just as a young boy growing up in in Medford, um, right outside, obviously, of Boston, you know, I just, I, all I wanted to be when I grew up was an athlete. Um, I wanted to play second base for the Boston Red Sox, period, end of vocation search. That's what I wanted. And I worked really hard at that concept of being an athlete. I'd go to the park, you know, during the summer, every day, shoot hoops, whether by myself or with other friends, I'd play baseball, I run, I, I do anything and everything to be fit, to yep. be healthy, to be skilled. And then when I got to high school, I went out for the team and I was inevitably always the last one cut. Or when my friends would pick teams, you know, in the park leagues, I was always the last one. I can't picked. even imagine knowing what I know of you now that you were the last one to be picked. Yeah, well, it was it was mainly due to the concept of I was short in stature. And short just meant, I don't know, in my mind, I felt like inferior. Okay. And even even though I knew I wasn't, that's sort of the, the, um, the sign, the signal I was getting. So at a very young age, I learned about the concept of rejection. Yep. And I've always felt in life there are three types of pain, a physical pain that you can work hard to overcome this mental pain that you can teach yourself to overcome. But then there's that debilitating one and it's called emotional pain. And I was in emotional pain as a young boy because I wanted to be an athlete, but nobody wanted me. And, and I had to, I had to overcome that somehow, some way. And I remember going out for the high school basketball team and I was the last one cut. And the coach comes up to me, puts his arm around me, and he looked down at me, and everyone looked down at me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, and he said, Dave, if you were five inches taller, you'd be my starting guard. I went, what? Excuse me, coach? If I was five inches taller, I thought it had to do with ability level. And so I challenged the center who made the team yep. to one-on-one, the 21, in front of all the guys who made the team. And he was six foot five. I was five four point wow. three eight seven on a on a good day <laughs> and I beat him and it was a defining moment in my life and I walked off the court and I remember saying to myself 
I will never, ever, ever allow anyone that, to tell me I'm not good enough, that I, I don't belong. So I went home that night. I put a sign over my, my bed, and the sign said, please, God, make me grow. Oh. And he, he must have been on vacation or, um, <laughs> you know, a- answering someone else's prayer because he, he, he did make not you make, grow. make me grow. But as I look back on my life in retrospect, I went, son of a gun. He did make me grow. He made me grow in so many other ways. He made me grow morally and ethically and spiritually and yes. intellectually and mentally. And he made me grow internally. And that's where it's all happening is who we are inside, not who we are outside or physically. So I'm, I decided to run because nobody can cut you from running. And so I just started running races. I started running my age on my birthday, just made a, made a challenge to myself, not to the world. I wasn't trying to prove to the world or to anyone about my athleticism. I was just trying to prove it to myself. That's all that mattered at the time. You know, confidence yep. and self-esteem is what I needed to work on because I was getting rejected so much. I had to build my own self-esteem, which is the foundation by which we accomplish anything in our lives. Right. And so I chose running because you can't get cut from running. So were so you a cross-country runner? At not, not at that very moment. Um, I mean, early on in my life, the intention was not to be a runner. It was to play second base. At Fenway, I just ran to stay in shape for yeah. the team sports. But then when I, I couldn't make the cut in the team sports, the only thing I, that, that, that made me realize I was pretty good is that I made the Little League team because nobody got cut from Little League. You know, you mm-hmm. go for the team, you, everyone gets picked. You know, they'll find a spot for you. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I made the Little League team and I made the All-Star team. I made the Babe Ruth League. Nice. I made the All-Star team. So once I got the chance, and I get in to the game, then I could prove myself. But if they weren't going to give me a chance to make the team to get in the game, right. how can I prove myself? Right. So I said, I'm, I'm going to do it through running. And so the first thing I started doing is challenging myself. And when I turned 12, I ran 12 miles my 12th birthday, and 13 on my 13th birthday, and 14 my 14th birthday. Wow. And I've been doing that now, running my basically running my age on my birthday for the last 57 years of my life. Uh, and obviously it gets exponentially more difficult because (laughs) of the aging process and i'm getting older so the mileage increases but but that's the idea wow the idea is to challenge myself right so that's that's when i started running and then and then you know i heard about the boston marathon and um i remember listening to it on the radio in 1970 i was in my garage with my dad working on his car and they had a broadcast of the race, and it was pouring rain out. And a guy by the name of Ron Hill won the race in 2.10. And I just turned to my dad, and, um, you know, I was 15 years old. And I said, hey, Dad, someday I'm going to run that race. And not not meaning anything other than, you know, someday. I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And 2000 and, um, 1972 came, and I woke up Patriots Day, and, I said, I'm going to do this. I was a senior at Method High School, 17 years old. Yeah. So um, I asked my brother if he would drive me out to the start. He said he would. And I called up my grandfather, who was a supporter of my athleticism, would come to my track meets and all. And I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go run that race in Boston. He goes, oh, they call that the Boston Marathon. <laughs> I said, oh, well, that's a good name for it. I'm going to go run it. 
He said, okay, I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. I said, great. Where's that? He said, that's around 24 miles. My grandfather lived in the projects in Brighton. So he was just going to walk over. He was just going to walk over and watch me run by. So my brother drives me to the start, and as the story goes, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I get to the hills in Newton. Bam! Yep. Down I go. Ugh. And I drop, dropped out in the hills in Newton. And I get taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. And I get there, and I call my parents to come pick me up. They said, where are you? I said, I'm in the Newton Wellesley Hospital. They said, what are you doing there? I said, never mind. Just come pick me up. <laughs> they picked me up, drove me home. I called my grandfather. No answer. Call him again. No answer. Call him again. Finally, 9 o'clock at night, he answered the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He goes, Dave, where have you been? I've been waiting for you all night. <laughs> the old man Kelly goes by. The street sweepers go by. Aww. No day. So he was said, at Coolidge yeah. Corner waiting for he you waiting. all that time. Yeah, he was waiting. Yeah. Like, how would he know? They didn't I'm have mobile phones. Me. It's 72. No, mobile yeah. phone. no, yeah. no. So I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I quit. He said, what? I said, I, I failed. He goes, no, you didn't fail. I said, I didn't. What I do? He said, you learn. I said, all right, what I learn? You learn you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. You know you had no business being in that race. You didn't train. That sounds like such a grandfather's advice. You know you had no business being in that. You had no business being in that race. And he said, you have to earn the right to do these things. I said, okay, fine. He said, I'll cut you another deal. I said, what? You train for next year's race. I'll be here waiting for you. I said, deal. Two months later, he died. And I said, I got to do this. I got to do this for grandpa. I was 18 years old, uh, graduated from high school, freshman at Merrimack College. I'm going to do this. Entered entered the race officially. And And you trained this time. I trained like crazy. I was running 120, 130 miles a week. I was a kid possessed. I was going to do this. I had made a commitment. And, And then the day before the race, I got sick. And my parents said, you can't run. And I said, I have to run. The newspapers are saying, Dave, running in memory of grandfather. You know, I made yeah, a commitment. Yeah, and they yeah. said, yeah. well, you're too sick. I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given to me in my life? What we just talked about, a chance. Can yeah. you just give me a chance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't feel good today. But tomorrow's a, a new day. I don't know. Let me toe the line and see what happens. Yep. They said, okay. They drove me to the start. Gun fires, I take off. I get to five miles. Oh, this is awful. They were right. I shouldn't be running. I'm so sick. I kept on going. I get to the halfway point in Wellesley, and there are my parents on the side of the road. And there's my mother. And what's she doing? She's crying. Oh, Why? I'd be, be crying, why? too. Why? Because that's what mothers do. Yes. They cry. That's because they're going do. through more pain than you'll ever go through. And as a parent now of five children. I understand that concept now. Yeah. But then there's my father next to my mother. What's he doing? He's taking pictures you know, <laughs> of, of, my mother, of my mother crying. Because you know? that's what we do. <laughs> Cry over here because that's what we do, right? You know, come on, get back in the race, buddy. Um, so I kept going, kept going. I got to the point where I dropped out the year before and I'm doing the survivor shuffle over the hills in Newton. And finally, right back, BC, 21.5, bam, down I go again. Wow. Second year in the row, I drop out of the Boston Marathon. And I'm saying to myself, sitting on the curb with my head in my hand, what a loser. Like, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Maybe you weren't meant to be the athlete you always thought you could be. Oh, you're Dave. the last one picked. You're the last one cut. 
You drop out of your first Boston Marathon. You drop out of your second Boston Marathon. And then another defining moment happened in my life. And I turned around and I'm looking around and I'm going, this place looks a little familiar. And where I dropped out was right in front of the Evergreen Cemetery. And that's where they buried my grandfather. So he was there. He said he'd be there waiting for me. He was there. And I saw his tombstone as I could look in the distance. And I said, son of a gun. He kept his end of the deal. Maybe he wasn't there physically, but he was there spiritually. Because it's not all about the physical person, as we just got to saying. And I said, he kept his end of the deal. I got to keep mine. So you got up and you ran. And I finished in four and a half hours in April 1973. And I said on that day, as I crossed the finish line, I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life and honor a tribute of the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right mm. to do these That's things. beautiful. And I've, I've run it for the last 51 years in a row. Jesus. Dave, that is crazy. Jesus. It gives yeah, me such crazy, crazy goosebumps. Like I'm literally just, Wow. Wait, yeah. I got. Wait, I got. I got to interrupt. I got. Okay. I got so many questions. It, it, it's. It's more about physicality, David. It, it's more about endurance. It's more about like. I run lumber shuffle, whatever the hell it is. I do that works up a sweat and burns calories. But, David, you're I, a different breed. Yeah, yeah. They. I am not built like you, sir. I am. And you are what I refer to in some people as the one percent. There's only 1% of you and your kind that can do endurance, that can do 120 miles a week training, right? Like when in your in your teens you were running 20 miles a day. You started running your age. Like David like physicality. I, I I would be interested. I don't know if this has ever happened, but if you if you've been like diagnosed by a doctor on just the molecular structure of you versus uh, dare I say uh, a normal person, right? And and normal meaning doesn't have these superman like feats of strength and endurance that you do. David, when I'm running a 3 4, dare I say, and by the way, I'm doing my first 5k. 5k. Right? <laughs> In Millbury, Mass, on September 23rd, because I saw it. I'm like, oh, I've been training. I'm earning the right. I've been running. I trail run. Like, But, David, when I'm done, I'm a mess, dude. Like, yeah. So, so how do you do it? Yeah, how do you how do you how do you do it? <laughs> well, how are well, you different? Are you built yeah. differently? Yeah, but no. Uh, okay, I'll answer it. But first of all, I might be one percent, but so's the seven foot two center for the XYZ NBA. Uh, basketball sure team. they're the one percent too right they were born with height i was not right so um you know but that aside i i don't want to um challenge what you said in a sense that i was born with this i i, I don't think i was i think i earned it i think i think that in the early stages like i didn't just start running 10 years ago i was running as a little boy playing basketball and playing tennis and doing all that around the parks. And this was in my DNA from day one. So, you know, I, 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 I think that my body acclimated to endurance right away. Um, and as, as a result, I just took advantage of that. So it's less um, talent I, and more training, would you say? 
That's right. Okay. That's right. And I okay. think I think it was more the work put in than okay. it was necessarily the God-given gift. Now, I, I, I'll tell you one thing, though. I think what I have been given, knock on wood, I'm probably going to go get injured tomorrow, but um, the biomechanics of being able to <laughs> run those distances without getting injured. Now, you, you, you went ahead and said how many miles I've run. How many, I've run 167 marathons. I've run 51 Boston's. Wow. I've run 160,000 miles. I've done nine. Wait, nine, wait, wait. Nine David, miles. the fact wow. that you are rattling these impressive well, stats. <laughs> oh, oh, but I'm, it's, it's just, I'm old. You know, <laughs> Dude, you know what my stats are? You know what my stats are, David? Oh, I got eight hours of sleep. I walk my dog. I, <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I work today. Everyone, I, uh, has their own, everyone has their own gig. And I, I ate a big bowl of pasta, and yeah. now I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> what Those I'm driving stats. at is the fact that I, I've been given a, a, a biomechanically structure that I haven't I haven't got injured to the point where like a lot of the folks that I ran with back in the seventies and early eighties probably can't even walk have, anymore. That's right. Yeah. They have artificial knees, artificial hips, blah blah blah. And I'm I haven't missed a day of running um, in two and a half years. Wow, of running three and a half miles or more. A friend of mine called me up two and a half years ago and said. Do you think that you could run every day without missing a day for a year? And I said, Do I think I can? I know I, I do I, it every day. I know day. I can, yeah. but I, I I've never wanted to because I've been very very competitive over the years, and I part of being competitive is that is maintenance and rest and recovery and all that stuff. So I never felt the need to have to run every single day. So he said, Oh, okay. And I said, But you know, you bring up a a, a good point. I said, I'm going to start today. And I'm going to run every day for a year. So he said, okay, um, I'll call you in a year. He called me a year later. He said, did you do it? I said, yeah, I've run every day for a year. Yeah. And, and, the, and the rule is a mile. And I said, I'm not even going to get out of bed for a mile. But I'll do three and a half to five miles every single day for 365 days. So he wow. said, you did it. I said, yeah. He said, now do me a favor. I said, what? He said, take tomorrow off. I said, why? He says, because you'll never stop. Mm-hmm. And so the next day comes and I said, you know, he's got a good point, but why should I take today off? You know, I feel good. It's a nice day. I'm going to go for my normal run. I went running the next day for 366 days in a row. Well, now it's been two and a half years Jesus. and I you. haven't stopped, you know. So my point is, is that I'm 69 years old. I got all these miles, but thank goodness I'm still able to get out there and put in the miles and still, you know, be able to do what I want to do. David, um, there, there's this uh, there's this concept of runner's high, right? And I get my runner's high post run, like it, it energizes me through the day. Do you experience a runner's high during the activity itself, which is what keeps you going? What I call it is more it, when when people said to me when I started my business of putting on road races, they said, "You think you can earn a living putting on road races?" And I said. I'm not putting on road races. They said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm helping to raise the level of self-confidence and self-esteem of tens of thousands of people in America. You're amazing. And they were like, amazing. They were like, what? I said, <laughs> I said, it's true. Is, for me, it's all about self-esteem. I said, you know, what happens, people say, well, what's the toughest part of running a marathon? You know what the toughest part is? The toughest part is signing the application. Right? So once you make that commitment, then, as I said before, you got to earn the right to toe the line. Mm-hmm. Now you do the work. You toe the line. You answer the gun. You run the course. You cross the finish line. You get a medal. And magic happens. 
you go home feeling good about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the runner's high for me and mm-hmm. I think for so many other people. You know, in the 70s, it was all about competition. Then philanthropy entered the, entered the space. And then, it, and then people were doing it for a greater purpose than just themselves. And then people started seeing that, you know, if my, my next-door neighbor, Fred, can do it, I can do it. And it was infectious. And right. it just, it just, it took off. The industry took off. Races were selling out at record pace and everything else. Why? Because it was all about feeling good about yourself. And, right. and, and I knew that, I knew in the early years that's what was going to happen. And it did. And that's why I was able to build a very successful business off, off you know, in, in the space. Too. But, but yeah. you were, I, I feel like you were able to build a really successful business in the space because you understand, you understood the power of what these yes. events gave, right? Exactly. If you had started a business and just said, hey, I'm putting on a bunch of races, would you no, have I, had the same, would you have made the same impact? I, I don't think so, and I think some of the things we did within those races in terms of acknowledging people and rewarding people and having them sort of be, you know, it, listen, I, I wrote a book called The Last Pick for yep. obvious reasons, yep. right? And people say to me, what's your book about? And my book's about the person reading it. And they go, what? I said, everyone's in the book. Yeah. You're in the book. Yep. And they said, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, we've all gone through the same thing. We've all been the last pick, so to speak, metaphorically, in our lives, somewhere, yep. somehow, yep. somewhere. Absolutely. And it's just a matter of putting your big boy pants on, getting up off the ground, and, you know, focusing back on, you know, the, the, the next day, you know, move on. And, and so in terms of, you know, the, that whole last pick thing and everything else, it's just, over, again, overcoming the odds and, 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 you know, and always recognizing that if you want to succeed at something, realize that, there's always another path to travel to accomplish that to accomplish that goal. Okay, Dave, I'm going to bring you back to 1978 or the years prior yeah. to 1978 because I like there there's so much I want to ask you because I'm also looking at your Wikipedia page <laughs> and your PR sheet and like there's just but Going back to thinking about running for the Jimmy yeah. Fund and being featured in Runner's Magazine as the first person to ever run long distances with the intent to fundraise for a cause, can we talk about, A, how many years it took you to, you know, to plan this trip? Um, I'm looking at a picture of you running with a baseball hat on and um, and a trailer following you across the Mississippi River Bridge in your 1978 run across America, right? The mustache and everything, Dave, that's right? That's Forrest Gump. I'm telling you. That, so, that's yeah. the inspiration of the movie is from this gentleman. So, I'm telling so, you. <laughs> you. David, so, have you gotten your credit yes, and your seriously? money for that? Well, you know, I actually wrote to Tom um, – I never did years you really? after the movie. Oh yeah, I wrote to him. <laughs> I said, "Where's my royal?" Hell my royal yes, David. Back? I'm looking at this I, picture right now. I know you are the original. Strike out cancer yeah. and children. No, I get it. Even so, to the hat. Even the hat. Yes. So what happened was is that um, you know right after I graduated, or right before I graduated from college, I heard heard about a friend of mine who I played a little soccer with who biked across the country. And in those days, that wasn't like everyone was doing it at the time. And right. I thought, that's pretty fascinating. You know, Tony can bike across the country, and he biked from Medford, Mass., to Medford, Oregon. 
I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And I said, well, if he can bike across the country, I can run across the country. Now, that's an idiotic comparison. Right? <laughs> Biking and running are a little different. I recognize that. But I was a runner, not a biker. I'm going to do this. So I set my sights on it. And I trained and I trained and I trained and I organized. And, you know, I started thinking about the course and how far it was and how many miles a day. And I wrote to every state police group in every state I was going to run across. Um, and letting, making them aware that this guy was going to be coming through and when I was coming through and the whole nine yards. So I was working in the John Hancock car at the time. And I remember saying to myself, I don't know if I can do this alone. What do I mean by alone? Alone meaning as, as my own personal goal. Right. I need something bigger than me. Mm. I, I, so I, I was working in Hancock Tower and I looked out the window Staring out the window, guess what I saw? Fenway, Fenway Park, Park. Where, where I wanted to play second base. And I saw a sign out in right field, and the sign said, help make a dream come true. Support the Jimmy Fund. Well, I wasn't even sure what a Jimmy Fund was personally. I knew about it a little bit, not, not a lot, so I picked up the phone. I called the Jimmy Fund. And a guy by the name of Ken Coleman answered the phone. And Ken was the voice of the Boston Red Sox, ironically. Oh my God. And he was the executive director of the Jimmy Fund. Yep. And I said, hi, Mr. Coleman, my name is Dave, and I want to run across the country for the Jimmy Fund. Well, after he picked himself up off the floor, <laughs> yeah. he, he invited me into the Jimmy Fund to meet with him the next day. I came in. And when we were done, he, he, uh, he said, okay, the Red Sox will support you. I said, oh, my God, the Red Sox. And the Jimmy Fund will support you. I said, deal. Wow. But, but I, had, I still had to find out what this Jimmy Fund was all about. So I went in and visited with the kids in the Jimmy Fund clinic. And I saw another sign in the Jimmy Fund clinic. And the sign said, God made only so many perfect heads. The rest of them have hair on it. <laughs> and it, it really hit me um, about turning negative into a positive, that these kids are battling cancer and they have more courage and guts than I'll ever have. And I said, you know, I, I, you know, what, what a lesson to, to learn that they, they want to get better and we need to help them. And this is the only way that I'm able to help them is use, use my athleticism to help raise some money, to help do the research, to help them get better. So I, I, I did it for the Jimmy Fund. So I started in the Kingdom in Seattle. During the Red Sox-Seattle Mariners baseball game, I started ceremonially by running a lap around the kingdom. And then the next day, it was funny because when I was running that lap around the kingdom and all these fans were cheering, I was, it was weird because I felt like they were cheering for me, but I hadn't done anything yet. Yeah. It was kind of like not an empty sort of feeling, but like you know, I haven't earned this yet. But So the next day I flew down to Medford, Oregon, started the run, I'm surprised you flew. Uh, why don't you just run yeah, there? Right, right, right. <laughs> I flew down, and then I started running, and I was averaging 45, 50 miles every single day. Every day. Every day, without a day off, consecutive, 80 straight days. And I got to Fenway Park on August 29, 1978, 45 years ago. Oh, my God. And um, I ran into Fenway to finish the the run, and that's when I finally finally realized at the age of 24 that I had become the athlete that I always wanted to be. Amazing. For the Red Sox and the Jimmy yes. Fund, Dave. Yes. 
Amazing. So, wow. so instead of playing in Fenway, I was running in Fenway. Yeah. You got the Fenway, dude. Stand, yeah. to, a, to a standing ovation for 10 minutes from the crowd. It's funny. The Red Sox said to me, you know, come out of the left field wall, run around the Wani track, come to home plate, say a few words, and, you know, depart the field. I said, okay. And he introduced me. Ken, Ken introduced me. I'm running in. The, the crowd went nuts because they heard about this crazy kid running across the country for yeah. three months. And here he is. And ironically, that that game, they were playing the Seattle Mariners. Oh, again. my God. And the Mariners were like up on the stairs and the dugout going, wait a minute. Didn't we just see this guy in our ballpark? How the heck did he get here? You know, he ran. Wow. Like, um, this is amazing. So the players were going nuts and the media was going nuts. The fans were going nuts. So instead of just doing the one lap, I kept going around and around and around. They, they had to call the police on me. You know, pull this guy off the, <laughs> off the field. We got a game to play. But, uh, but yeah, and that's what started it all. And then I opened up an athletic footwear and clothing store in my hometown of Medford. And then I started putting on races to promote the store. And then I realized I like putting on races more than shoes on people's feet. And started my business, DMSC Sports. And, and then I started directing the Boston Marathon and doing world championship races, U.S. Olympic trials, national championships, putting on races all over the country, in Asia, in South America, Amazing. in the Caribbean. It, it, just, it, just, it just took off. And I directed over 1,600 events in the last 40-plus years. I've given over 1,400 motivational speaking appearances in every conceivable type of group you can imagine, from elementary schools, high schools, colleges, business groups, sales forces, maximum security prisons. I mean, I've spoken everywhere. Okay, okay. I I need to stop you for a second. You need to unpack. So you just talked about the maximum (coughs) security. Sorry, excuse me. The Maximum Security Prison, and we are here in Walpole in our studio. Um, so I noticed in in reading about you that you have worked directly with the inmates of Walpole State Prison. Like, first of all, how do you come up with all of these ideas? Like, how does a twenty something year old kid realize if I want to if I want to run across the country, I need I need the powerful support of organizations behind me, right? And a couple of years later, in the early 1980s, you're like, how do you decide that you want to go and empower inmates in prison? And and is it again? Is this something in your DNA? Because you not only are an athlete and a fundraiser and an entrepreneur, but now I, I I'm also aware of the fact that you have your own foundation, right? Mm-hmm. That helps kids, yep. and it's about yep. educating and empowering kids. So. Where does the drive come from? Do you wake up in the middle of the night with all of these ideas and a notebook? Like what? Who are you, Dave McGillery? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know how a lot of people run with earbuds and yeah. listen to music and stuff? I run, and I have run for the last 40 years, with a handheld voice recorder. Oh, my God, really? really? Every day. And I multitask when I run. Wow. Not only am I getting in the miles, health and fitness, but I'm also being creative. And I'm thinking. Wow. Right. I, I run to think, not just run for help. I yeah. run to think when I'm out on the road. There's no distractions. I'm in the moment. 
and I'm thinking about certain things, certain subjects. I pick subjects, whatever. That's how I've written my book. That's how I've directed the Boston Marathon. That's how I come up with these these ideas is out on the road. Hmm. And when I come home, I've got like 20 different concepts, ideas, thoughts, whatever, snippets, whatever, nuggets of wisdom or whatever I got. I write them all down on a notepad, and I start chipping away and going at it and getting them done. Hmm. And with the Walpole prison thing yeah. really quick. So a friend of mine was a, a guard at, at the prison, and he called me up one day, and he said, uh, you know, the inmates just finished sort of building a, a, a dirt track around the prison yard. Um, we want to put on a race in here. I said, yeah. They said, well, we called up Fame Marathon at Bill Rogers to see if he'd come in to run a race against the inmates. I said, well, what did Billy say? He took a pass. I said, I, I, I always knew Bill was a smart guy. <laughs> and they said, uh, what about you? I said, what? Do you want to come in and run against the inmates? I said, there's 500 inmates in there. They said, yeah. I said, all right, sure. What the heck? What can go wrong? <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do it. What can so, go wrong? What can go wrong? So I went in. And I was by myself. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, my goodness. What did I just do to myself? Yeah, I said, seriously. I, I, I have to believe this, this has to be safe. I mean, you know, the guards are going to have to pretend. You know, there were no guards on the field at the time. They were up in the towers. And they, they lined us up. There was about 30 inmates in the race. Um, and the rest of them on in the yard, you know, watching and cheering and doing other things. And they went ahead and fired the gun to stop. Well, they didn't fire the gun. Um, someone yelled, go, mm -hmm. right? No guns in the prison. And off we go. And there was 11 laps. And um, what's the one thing I said to myself not to do in this race? Don't win. Win. Don't really? Win. Don't win. Yeah, yeah, don't win. Don't win this race. Really? Because you're dis Oh, yeah, you're dissing them in front. You're dissing the 30 guys running in the race in front of their inmates. Buddies. Yes. And like I got all the open roads of America to run. Yes. They got this dirt track. Yep. No matter what they did to come in there, they got a dirt track. Yep. I got this over here. Don't win. Good so point. I'm in third place and I'm running and I'm running. And all of a sudden the guy in first drops out. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so now I'm in second place and I'm running and I'm running. And all of a sudden the guy in first place uh, drops, drops out. out. I'm in the lead another defining moment like what do i do Dear. and I, I i i i was freaking out emotionally because i wasn't sure what to do and i started saying to myself you know if i wimp out and and fall back pull a hammy <laughs> if i do that though they're gonna think this guy's a little weasel right and so that's not good but if i win they're gonna slit my throat anyways so i don't know so i kept on going and they started yelling, the guys on the side started yelling things at me that I can't repeat on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That they're, that they're going to do to me. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. Oh, 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 no, yeah. They, and, and I believe them because they've done a lot worse, you know, to get in there. I would have taken a yeah. fall, man. I would have taken a fall. <laughs> then I'm running and I'm running, and all of a sudden I'm hearing ping, 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 and I'm like, what the heck? There's a chain link fence behind me, and they're throwing rocks. Oh, my oh God. My head. God. And I'm like, all right, this isn't good. Um, what, what do I do? And I said, screw it. And I picked it up, and I won. And I broke the brake tape, which was a roll of toilet paper. Oh, right? my God. <laughs> and then the guys, guys 
the race ended and we, we kind of got together and the guys come up to me and they're like, Hey buddy, good job. We were only kidding. I'm like, <laughs> I said, didn't feel like it. <laughs> you were throwing rocks in my head. What is like, I hate to think what you do when you're not kidding. When you're right? not kidding. Right. Oh my God. Right. And so anyways, so I, I just, Befriend, I mean, that was a defining moment, and they really respected me for winning. Yes. And we were all buds, right, at the time. And so I said, this was good. This was good. And I, I came back probably 10 more times, put on races in there, 10K races. I put on a marathon inside Walpole State Prison. Wow. I gave out awards. I brought them all running shoes from mm. New Balance and stuff. I formed the first sanctioned running club in a maximum security prison hmm. in the United States. Walpole Prison Yard Runners Club, I called hmm. it. Got them all t-shirts, the whole bit. And then I started getting like ridiculed by people. And they said, you know, why are you helping inmates? Like, why don't, why don't you help the kids? I said, well, I'm helping both, but why am I helping inmates? I said, well, my theory is this, that someday some of these guys are going to get out. Yeah. You know, and I, I want them, I want them in a better way on the way out than they were on the way in, right? And really, to be honest with you, you know what I'm doing? I'm just telling them how to run, and that's raising their self confidence. Yes. And you know something? The reason why I believe 90% of them are in here is they had no self confidence, they had no support team, they had no self esteem, and if they did early on in their life, they wouldn't be here. And that's all I'm trying to do. That's all I'm trying to do. So all of a sudden, the prison administration called me up one day and they said, we appreciate what you've done, but you're no longer welcome here. Really? Said, what? Yeah. They said, it's getting too big, too clicky. And I said, well, isn't that the idea? They go, no, because all of a sudden they could get together as a team now and do, do bad things. And they, they took, can organize, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. they can organize. They can organize. And so... The administration was getting really nervous about what I was creating here. And then they took two of the guys to help me build this whole program, and they deported them to prisons in, like, Marion, Illinois. And I'm like, you son of a gun, that's illegal. Like, you have no right. right to do that. And so I called up the attorney general, and I did this, and I did that. Anyways, um, so they finally decided to bring them back. Wow. So the U.S. Marshals are bringing them back. And as they're driving back, they got stuck in a traffic jam in Hartford, Connecticut, and they escaped. Oh. Well, how, how'd they get away? They ran. They ran. They ran. They ran. They ran. They ran. So the U.S. Marshals are com coming to my house, banging on my door. Oh, my thinking, God. No, thinking I had something to do with this. I'm oh, like, my God. I had, nothing to, I had nothing to do with this. Like, anyways. I could tell you a million stories about Walpole State Prison and the whole bit. In fact, what was interesting is in San Quentin, mm -hmm. uh, just a number of years ago, there's this guy, Marcel, who was an inmate at San Quentin, and they built a very similar program, a track program at San Quentin. And he was going to be um, uh, let out of prison, and he became a good runner in the prison. And somebody from his group contacted me and said, you know, would you be able to get Marcel into the Boston Marathon. And I said, uh, anyways, I now, did. Now, did you? I did. Okay. And he ran the Boston Marathon two years ago. Wow. And he did, he did great. They've come out with a documentary. It's called 26.2 to Life. 
Wow. And it's all about that, you know, San Quentin, that prison, wow. that, pro- that wow. program, and his running the Boston Marathon. And I went, where's the documentary on Waffles? Seriously, <laughs> you know? somebody What's needs to do one. We started, we started this before that thing even existed, you know, kind of. A, anyways, so um, he just actually came to the Falmouth Road Race and ran in the race. I directed the Falmouth Road Race, and he ran in it, and uh, I saw him there, too. And uh, Anyways, I can go on and on and on about these crazy stories. So, so Dave, awful. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions because that's yeah, what I like ahead. to do. So, First of all, what is on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? Like, what does what does the dynamo who doesn't just tune out during a run but actually brings a voice recorder and gets business done while processing and running? Like, what yeah. read? what's he reading? Yeah. Well, this may sound awful, but it's just the truth. And that is, I am so busy doing everything I'm doing that I've committed to. I, I own a business that puts on almost 30 events a year all wow. over the country, yep. right? Um, I motivational speaking all over the country. I continue to train for various things. So I need training times. I have five kids. I, the list goes on and on and on, right? So, I mean, my motto in life is sleep is overrated. I, <laughs> I wish we didn't need to sleep because a third of my life is gonzo and I can't, you know, there's, there's, I, I, I can't get things done while I'm sleeping. How many so hours a day is, do you sleep, Dave? Oh, well, as, as, as few as possible. Hmm. And my body will allow me to. If, that, that, again, I'm not advocating this. Right. It's just the way I live my life. So, you know, it could be four, five, six. Wow. along okay. those lines okay it should be it should be seven eight i i know what it should be mm-hmm. but I, but i know what it is and and i so far so good i get away with it i think um so i don't do a lot of reading in that regard i do a lot of reading of documents right. and you know emails and you know i read a lot but i don't sit down i don't have time to read for pleasure i'm reinventing the world yeah Come no, on. Hey, that, i get that and that's what it is and and you know and sometimes i get quote unquote criticized for that like jesus you don't read any no books, that's right? okay that's great no no but i've written four of them I, exactly you've so yeah what about like a motto mantra whatever that guides you is there something like you know you 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 talk about the uh sign you put above your bed god please make me grow do you have yeah. something that you paste yeah. to the mirror and look at as you of look course. at yourself it, in the mirror yeah I, I have a mantra and and so I told you I run my age and my birthday. And yep. so as I, as I was doing that over the years, I don't know, when I turned 60, I ran 60 miles. And someone said to me, what are you going to do when you turn 90? And I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've never been 90, so I don't know yet. I'll let you know when I turn 90. But my motto in life is it's my game, so it's my rules. My game, so my rules. It's my game, my rules. That's how I live my life every single day, meaning that I try to, I try to adjust the rules for success, not mm-hmm. failure. Right. So mm-hmm. I can, it, I, and it's your life to live. So it's your, you do it by your rules. Yeah, you have you know, parents and teachers and mentors and coaches and all that. But at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow. You're all alone, folks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your life to live as you want to live it. Yeah. And you can. So that's my mantra. It's my game, so it's my rule. I can I can do it any way I want, and Dave, that makes me feel good. Like because absolutely, you know, you know, people say, "Why do you run your age on your birthday?" Because I want to. 
Yeah. Because Period. I can. Can you? Because, because I, I can. can. Yeah, and I absolutely. want to. It makes me feel good. My game, my rules. Okay, see a bite. You know, and I don't need to give you a long explanation. That's it. Yeah. Pretty simple. You know, David, I'm I'm looking at some notes, um, and, and I don't think I I've heard you say this yet, but I know it's it's part of your your mantra, and it's called being an accomplisher, right? Yeah. Like, can you just give us a little color on that? What that means? Yeah. To you? So, you know, when I do all these speaking things, I get asked all the time, especially little kids. You know, they don't know how old I am or something, and they say to me, um, "What do you want to What do you want to be when you grow up?" Love that. And I'm like, uh, that's a good question, you know, Joey. Um, first of all, I'm not sure I ever want to grow up in the conventional sense me of the word. Either. I always want to be young. I mean, for me, um, I don't mind getting older. I just don't want to get old. And Great that, point. That's it. Yes. You know, that's okay. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I got older. Right. But I don't feel old. Good. So that, that's, that's the separation of that. So to little Joey, I said, well... What do I want to be when I grow up? And I said, you know, I still got to try to figure that out. And I was driving down the road one day and I saw a billboard and it had one word on it. And the word was accomplisher. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's it. That's all I've ever want to be in my entire life is an accomplisher. doesn't matter what it is. That's just everyone wants to accomplish something different, whether it's play the violin or be a good teacher or a carpenter or a plumber or a runner. And whatever it is, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's whatever you want it to be. But what? But for me, it's you know people say, "What's your greatest accomplishment in life?" My greatest accomplishment is my next one. Yeah. You know, because like I want to take the rearview mirror out of my car and throw it away because I don't want to look back. Yeah, I want to use what I've accomplished as a foundation of competence that I can continue to do it going forward. But I don't want to live back there. It's over. I want to live for today, plan for tomorrow. So there's always something else. That um, uh, that that's a magnet for me and a target. So accomplisher, it is, you know, set a goal, earn the right, accomplish it, check it off the list, and move on to the next one because that one's done. Jesus, Period. oh, David, you are like you are amazing. Yes. Like, can we can we just come and hang out with you and bask in your presence <laughs> when you're like in between no, planning listen, events? At the end of the day, we're, we're all you know. We're all the same. I'm no better than anyone else. I will never think that I am. No one's any better than me. I'm not, you know, no one's more important than anyone else on the planet, yada, yada. We're all in this thing together. You know, you know, we really are. You know, what's interesting, David, about um, guys like you and guys who say that you're all the same, right? You're all tremendous accomplishers. Yes. Tremendous athletes, tremendous givers, tremendous receivers. But you all are as humble as the day is long. And humility is a rarely seen trait in anybody, whether you're an athlete or not. And that's a common thread amongst people in this particular circle, right? Endurance athletes, you know, givers of of, of themselves and ideas is that you keep it real. Yeah. You know, you keep it real in the field, as they say, right? You're, hey, I'm just a guy from Medford. No, you're not. Well, you are, but no, you're not. Um, and I think that even makes you even better, right? Even more likable is humility, right? Yeah. yeah. You're amazing. Well, it, that's all. I mean, I work at that, too, because it's hard to get up in front of an audience and talk to them for 40, 45 minutes about 
what you've accomplished in your life in so many words and be humble about it. <laughs> you know, because yeah. they're like, I, 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 I. Well, and we, we behaved the same way when you rattled off the stats and I said, well, I woke up, I had breakfast, and you're like, I ran friggin' 40 miles today and I wrote a book. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know? But the, the point being is there's all, like, throughout my presentation, there's all takeaways. You know, my yes. game, my rules, those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. The worst injustice you could ever do to yourself to underestimate your own ability all these different things that woven around yes. my accomplishments because that's how i've been able to do it and it's funny because people ask me all the time like why do you keep doing this stuff and i bring up one slide and it has another one word on it or two words it says to be relevant Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to make an impact yes. right i'm here to help mm. i'm here to help mm. and the only way i can be relevant is to it's it's to continue to accomplish i don't want to talk about what i've done in the past i want to talk about what i'm doing today you're only as good as your last race so yeah. you know to be relevant to me means that just keep going to keep going and to keep going and Never, never stop. David, you right. you told us a story. This this kind of dovetails in, into relevance and some of your speaking engagements. You told us a story about what you meant to one particular individual who came up to you during or after one of your uh, uh, yeah. speeches. Can you talk. can you talk, talk to us a little bit about that? Well, you know, the, the title of the, the presentation is defining moments, mm-hmm. and when I when I do speak to an audience. I want them too to have defining moments. In other words, sit there, listen, mm-hmm. and then walk away with something they didn't have right. walking in, in the door. Right. And so I just go through the whole presentation and then hopefully I, I at the end I say, Well, I hope that some of you had a defining moment and I hope you're walking out the door right now feeling better about yourself than when you walked in. Yep. And I had one gentleman you know, probably six months ago or something, come up to me afterwards and he said, I just need to let you know one one thing. I said, what's that, sir? He says, well, when I did walk in the door, I wasn't feeling very good about myself. I said, okay. And he said, no, I really wasn't feeling good about myself. And um, and I, I felt like, you know, things were coming to an end. And I he said, after listening to you, and what you had to say, um, right there, sitting in the audience, you saved my life. I said, mm-hmm. how did I do that? He said, you made me believe in myself, that I need to get beyond this, my, my situation, that I belong, that people need me, and um, I'm going I'm, I'm to work more in that direction than the other direction that I was going in before I you saved a life uh, David you saved a, yeah. a human go. soul man there you yeah. have it well you never know that in your life you know the impact you have on other people some a lot of times it's it's done but it's quiet like you you, you don't you never you don't hear from these people like right. if you're talking mm-hmm. to an audience of 400 people and they leave you don't know any of people in the audience you right. don't know who's going home saying well you even said you know, your, your child came home and I heard from this guy who does all this running or whatever. Yes. I don't know the impact I'm having. I don't know. I suspect there is some. That's why I do it. But it's refreshing when you hear that people are getting something from it and mm-hmm. makes me want to continue to do it. Dave, I there are no words. Um, the inspiration that you are sharing with us, 
the changing of lives that you do and have done, being the pioneer that you have been in so many different realms, like truly, like I feel like we're in the presence of greatness. So I know I know that makes you feel a little bit embarrassed, but I wanted yeah. to sort of wrap up and thank you so very much for sharing your sort of life-changing moments and being an inspiration. I believe as somebody who works with students myself that like what every student, what every individual needs is somebody to see them and believe in them. And what you said about what your book means to whomever is reading it who feels like the last pick, right? Like Mm -hmm. Mark and I have talked about the, the I suck monster that lives on everybody's shoulder that we're constantly trying to struggle with, grapple with and throw away if at all possible. And you're one of those people who I think is that inspiration who allows for us to be able to grapple with, struggle with, and say goodbye to the I suck monster as we step into our own power and potential. And that is the message that I think is so, so powerful about your story. So thank you for being with us and for sharing your um, weekend afternoon to to record here. Thank you, David. Thank you. Appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you in person and celebrating sometime soon. We will be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Woo! Wow! Was that... Jesus, I'm still like... I'm still. I'm still... I got kind of goosebumps. I got goosebumps throughout our talk with Dave McGilvery, and I cannot... Can we bottle him and, like, redistribute to everyone to have... I think he's doing a pretty good job of doing it on his own. Jesus. So... He's an inspiration. Thank you, Dave McGilvery for joining us and for being an inspiration for so many years to so many. Like, unbelievable, David. Um, This is the Zero Hour. We are signing off after an inspirational conversation, one of many today. Um, It's Mark Fiertz saying, see ya. Bye.